The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. As spiritual seekers, we often receive guidance on which path to follow. This might be necessary for some time, but as we move along, we need to trust our heart and become our own guide. Welcome to Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us, a place where we can listen to everyone's heart. Your companion on the journey is Jill Asselin. Come join us now on this path of inner exploration. Here is your host, Jill Asselin. Yes, good afternoon or good evening, Lyndon, dear Lyndon. Good afternoon, Jill. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. I'm speaking to you from Japan. Yes. Uh, and here in Japan, it's uh, very early in the morning, just before 8 o'clock. Um, and it's quite a grey day today, but um, autumn is coming here, definitely. Good. We're very happy to um, have you on the show. Thank you very much for agreeing to come and share your wisdom and your insights and um and um, I introduced you briefly last week, so I, don't, I won't say much about you, and I guess you know much more uh, about you than I do. So I wanted to share with you a piece that I share with other guests uh, coming from Thomas Merton. Uh, it's coming from a, a piece, uh, maybe a series of poems called uh, Thoughts in Solitude. Mm. And so it's one specifically for you, and I would like you to... Um, Tell us what you think about it. It, it goes as well as, uh, as it is now. If you want to ad- identify me, ask me not where I live or what I like to eat or how I comb my hair, but ask me what I'm living for in detail. Ask me what I think is keeping me from living fully for the thing I want to live for. Mm. Thomas Merton and I have a very close relationship, uh, not, not physically, but um, psychologically, spiritually. I've always very much admired his writing and uh, just his whole way of life. And um, speaking as someone who was born into a Christian Catholic background and then uh, gradually uh, moved away and uh, experimented with other paths of faith. Uh, Thomas Merton is someone who has always reached every path I've been on. He always can touch me, with, especially with his writing. Um, I think this short poem is an um, incredibly moving uh, poem, um, because of course it's you know the the whole as the whole idea of living fully as a human being is something that I think all spiritual seekers are very uh, interested in um, and it is curious that we don't 
live fully. We block uh, so much of our spiritual life uh, involved in the uh, the minutiae of uh, daily living. We get sucked into these the tiny, world, yeah. tiny details, you know. Um, <clears throat> so I think... The, the, to have the aspiration to live as fully as possible as a human being here and now is, really says it all, I think, for a spiritual speaker, seeker. Um, but, of course, the interesting thing is that living fully has so many different meanings for so many different people. Um, and so I think Thomas Merton is really trying to touch something very metaphysical yes here, you know? he, he said if i may interrupt uh living fully for the thing i want to live for so yes. Yes. the thing what is the thing you know mm. of course uh, each person will have a different thing yes. um, <laughs> <laughs> which just makes it so difficult to talk about i know, know it's not because it's not actually it's not a, a tangible thing it's more like no. uh, something running within so that's right. But I think, um, <clears throat> you know, he's, he's touching on, on something I'm really interested in at the moment, which is desirelessness. So we have desires in uh, our human life, uh, <clears throat> certain things that we feel we should have or we must have, we simply must have, you know. These desires are very strong within us. Um, but if we step beyond those desires, which in fact, when, when you look at them more closely, there are not so many of them. If you ask the average person, well, come on, tell us, what are your, what are your desires? Then maybe they've got three or four or five passionate desires. But, uh, you know, Thomas Merton is, is, encouraging us, beckoning us, I think, to go beyond those desires. Because the thing we want to live for is surely that uh, divine link that we all have uh, and that uh, connection with the invisible world. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's interesting, I think, that he uses the word think. <laughs> he uses this very kind of um, down-to-earth word that is commonly used by people to describe this divine thing, this divine um, place or entity that we're really here to connect with. Would you like, sorry again to interrupt, but would you like to share some of your path? I know you have a very interesting uh, spiritual path. Mm -hmm. uh, you lived in France for quite some time. I'm sure it was a very spiritual adventure as well. Yes. And then you, at some point, moved to Japan. So, yes. How do you yes. put everything together, in a sense, spiritually speaking? Well, I think um, I'm sure you could say the same, Gilles. But I think my my life has been uh, an incredible, uh, glorious thing, and I think that's because I was born, I think. I, 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 of course, my um, childhood memories do go back pretty far, but not to 
zero quite, but um, I think I was born with the ability to listen and to take risks. Uh, and I think many people are, you know, prevented from having adventures such as I have had because they are, you know, blocking and, and afraid to take risks. Well, I've never had that fear. And uh, so, yes, my life has been incredible. I've moved around so much. I've had so many different uh, connections with so many different people of faith. And, uh, yeah, my time in France was something extraordinary. Um, I uh, was invited to go to live in France by a close friend of mine who had a ruined house in a very small village called Sunia in the mid-Pyrenees. And um, she, she was planning to retire there, but... The house was really, <clears throat> excuse me, really a ruin. Uh, there was barely electricity uh, and running water. It was completely ruined. A, a house about 150 years old. And I'm a very practical person, so she thought I would be really good at getting this house into shape. And, uh, oh, so you had a, a job. Massive, <laughs> a, a massive garden um, o- overlooking the mountains, you know, with no... No houses around at all. It's an absolutely sublime spot. So the plan was that I would go and I would uh, do all these practical things. And she was in the middle of writing a book. She was a psychologist. Um, And I would get on with that and that would be my contribution to living there. So really, I didn't know the area at all. I'd never really been, been much further south than... Um, let's say Lyon or something like that. So going there was like really going to another country. (laughs) And I think the south of France is so different to the north, you know, anyway. So I was there and doing all my chores and gardening and so on and so forth. And meanwhile, I was a practicing Buddhist. And at that time, I was very involved with um, uh, the, um, uh, I've forgotten the name of it now, the uh, Kenrap, the um, Kadampa, sorry, yes, Kadampa Buddhism. And I was practicing quite hard, and I'd done some retreats in, in fact, the north of England at their priory there. And um, so I was really practicing hard, entirely on my own. And gradually, I realized that this whole area where the village was situated was the site of the Qatar Chateau, where they hid from the Inquisition. It was also uh, the area where, <clears throat> excuse me, the area where most of the troubadour congregated. Um, and so I gradually just became so spiritually aware of all these energies around me. And of course, lots of visits to the chateau, which are so beautiful. Um, and <clears throat> I feel that. Going there was uh, just one of the biggest adventures of all because I didn't know anything about the Qatar. 
I had vaguely heard of them, but I knew so little about them. Of course, the troubadour I was much more conversant with because I studied music. <clears throat> and so uh, I was very uh, interested in the troubadour movement when I was doing my music degree. Um, and so I was, you know, that was something I knew something about. But my knowledge of the kata was so small at that time, and that was perfect for connecting spiritually with them without getting too much knowledge getting in the way, you know. Uh, and so my life was extraordinary because in this tiny little village, I was, you know, so strongly embraced by the Qatar uh, and still chanting away with my Tibetan chanting, you know. It's a bizarre combination, I think. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but eventually, um, as you know, Gilles, um, some very strong characters started to appear in my dreams. And um, I realized that, uh, you know, um, I was very connected in past life uh, time with Qatar. And uh, later I wrote about that uh, in a book I published last year called Veil. And that is a story uh, centered around the discovery of um, my former identity, uh, a troubadour and Qatar, and her name was Fabrice de Caramani. Uh, so I feel that that time, uh, that period of six years when I lived in that village, was my time of really opening up and going beyond Buddhist parameters. You know, we're, in Buddhism, we're taught to move towards nirvana and so on. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and I, I feel that the Qatar opened up something beyond nirvana for me uh, and became my spiritual guides, really. So I've got two or three Qatar spiritual guides who are with me most of the time, and um, I write from that point of view. And, <clears throat> um, and in fact, the Qatar Creed, which uh, I don't know if many of the people listening know about, but the uh, Church of Love Creed has become my kind of talisman now. Uh, and I'm now writing another book called Glorious Life, Glorious Death, which is based on the Qatar Creed and how it relates to Buddhism and also the, um, the lives of indigenous people, who I also have a bit, very big connection with. So, yes, that, that period in my life um, opened me very wide. And um, so several years later, suddenly, quite out of the blue, I was invited to come to Japan and teach here. I'm a university teacher, and um, here I am. I've been here 10 years now and had another huge set of experiences uh, of Japanese culture and Japanese Buddhism and so on. So, But the, all of these things came about because I had no fear. You know, I listened and I acted. You listened within, I guess. I listened within, and I had no hesitation. 
um, in a way, uh, like Thomas Merton and like many spiritual seekers, um, my own personal desires, well, I, I really don't have any, to be frank. And so I think if you don't have personal desires, well, you can do anything and go anywhere. Uh, and you, you have no fear. And like the Qatar, I have no fear, absolutely no fear. Um, so I feel very blessed for that uh, gift of being able to listen within and then act, you know, go ahead and act. <clears throat> That's why you get a sense of direction, yes. Yeah. I see what you mean. I've, I've been listening a bit to my inner wisdom as well so from time to time. It doesn't happen every time, but sometimes there's like a, sometimes it's a big thing, a big decision. Sometimes it's more like a hunch. And mm. um, I know what you mean. I mean, it's, it's, it seems to be coming from somewhere else. It bypasses your brain in a sense. And, yes. And you know. Well, yeah, sorry. No, I'm, I'm, I'm done. Thank you. Yeah. No, well, I was just saying that, yes, it's really your higher self, isn't it? You know? We're tuning into the higher self and um, realizing that the, the lower self, if we can call it that, the lower vibrations of one's spiritual entity um, act in the world in a certain way. And, of course, we need to have our feet on the ground in some ways, but... If we can find a way of connecting with our higher vibrations, then, um, well, the sky is the limit. <laughs> yeah, it's that, that's where we get our guidance. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, yes. I mean, we. I think it's a good time to take a break, but we can talk some more about this, uh, especially. Yeah, let, let's take a break now. I think it's a good time, and then we'll come back and. Um, have, if you'd like to share a few more thoughts about this. Yes, sure. That sounds good, Gina. Thank, Thank you. you. The Seventh Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. 
all from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. listening to Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us with Jeel Asselin. To reach the program, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to seeking at nurturingthegift.org. Now, back to the program. Hello again, dear Lyndon. Hello, dear. Yeah, thank you very much for being with us today and sharing some of your life uh, adventures. Oh, Why my pleasure. The, you're welcome. Why before the break, we were talking about, uh, uh, based on what you said during the first few minutes, um, I'm interested in learning more about what were you consciously searching for in France, in the south of France, and, and when you came to Japan, were you also searching for something on a, on a somewhat conscious level? Even though you were maybe directed to the south of France and to Japan, invited by people, but directed also by your, by your higher self. Mm. Mm, yes, that's interesting. Um, I think in France, I was very... Um, I wasn't consciously seeking at all. No, I wasn't. Uh, I was, you know following the precepts like a good Buddhist and I was chanting and I was doing all my um, practice and puja and so on and in a way I felt that that was taking care of my kind of spiritual quest if you like Um, and it was only later really uh, several years later uh, that I realized how um prominent the Qatar energy had be, had been at that time. After you left France or when you were still in France? Well, towards the end of living there, but yes, certainly after. And I think that really is true. Once you're, if you're in the middle of something, you know, slap bang in the middle of an experience, you mm. very often are so absorbed in that, you can't uh, really express it or or find a way of touching it. But later, when you step back, you, know, you step away, suddenly you realize the, the incredible importance of something that, in a way, you took for granted. Again, this is the lower self, I think, um, taking things for gra- granted. Um, <laughs> but um, when I was in the thick of it, of course, I was very... Um, Haunted almost by mm-hmm. mm, by feelings, by strong, strong feelings that were coming from the earth, uh, coming from the ground, uh, coming from the sky. And of course, this house was uh, uh, had been a medieval site. In fact, the whole village was medieval. And so the house itself was really so ancient. <coughs> Excuse me, um, and you know, of course I was working with the fabric of the house, you know, uh, painting and 
digging and and uh, so and in fact I unearthed a, a medieval rose garden there, and <clears throat> which was covered uh, with ye- hundreds of years of soil, you know, and blown around by the Pyrenean winds, <clears throat> mm-hmm. and uh, so I unearthed this rose garden, and as I got down to the kind of bare rock of this village, I had such strong feelings and feelings of connection and and um, hugely emotional feelings, you know. Um, healings. Uh, what what were you healing? <clears throat> sorry, feelings. Oh, feelings, sorry. Feelings. Huh? Uh, yeah, healing too, because there, there was a lot of emotional healing going on too. Uh, for my partner at the time, uh, I was doing quite a lot of healing work with her. Um, and so the uh, um, the spirit of the place really completely hypnotized me, I, I think. Uh, and maybe, as you know, um, in that area, there are many, many Hermitage. So there are incredible uh, caves in the in a rock face. You know, you could, the only way you can get up to them is on a rope. This kind of thing. Where, of course, the religious adepts, the the Christians nowadays, actually do retreats. Um, so the whole countryside is full of that kind of uh, devotional possibility. You know, uh-huh. still. And, mm. Still very devotional, and there are many abbeys there, uh, and I visited a lot of them and felt incredibly strong connection. And it was so funny because um, uh, later, when I came to Japan and started to work here as a Japanese Buddhist, I was castigated for denying and turning my back on my Christian roots. And that, this began another uh, kind of journey to get back to touching my Christian roots. And this was, a, I think I was a kind of um, victim of this imperialism that we have in religious domains, you know, where each religion thinks it's the best and tries to uh, recruit people to join it because it's the best and so on. And um, I I'd, I'd kind of placed Buddhism above everything else. Um, and this realization actually brought me to a place beyond nirvana, beyond form. Um, but yes, I was heavily, heavily told off for denying my Christian background. Were you, were you, were you critical of your Christian background? I was critical, yeah. I was. I was horrible about it. <laughs> did you have any bad experience back in England? <clears throat> well, um, I did really, yes. I, I had um, my, my maternal grandmother was a very devout Catholic and I adored her and I was the kind of next in line. She really passionately wanted me to take her legacy forward, you know, and become a really strong Catholic and when she was alive, I, I did. I was very much with her and very much involved in the, the whole sensuous beauty of 
the Catholic faith uh, uh, and very much accompanying her, you know, Stations of the Cross and all of this kind of thing. But then, unfortunately, when I was 13, she died. And, you know, I felt a huge commitment to carrying on the, the line of her devo- devotion. And I tried really hard to carry on, but I just couldn't. I couldn't. Um, there was something that did not touch me uh-huh. if, she, if she wasn't involved. Interesting. And so gradually I, I moved away from Christianity. I became, I kind of was suspended. Uh, and it was at that point that I was introduced to the Buddha and uh, started to become very involved in Buddhist practice. So when you were a teenager already? Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Of course, now I can see that I couldn't possibly have uh, met the Buddha if I hadn't met Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, they are the same in so many ways. Uh, but my Christian background very much moved me towards my Buddhist pursuits. Uh, and then again now in, in later life, in the evening of my life, if you like. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Come on. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, I feel that um, once again, the kind of commingling of my Qatar background and my Buddhist background, clearly I was a Buddha, Buddhist, sorry, a Buddhist and a Buddha probably in a former life. Uh, this this commingling of these two things is really taking me beyond uh, the need for form and taking me into this desireless state, which I think my whole life has been leading towards. Can you can you say a bit more about the need for form? I mean, is it a material thing or is it your physical body or what do you mean by that? <clears throat> I think. Um, in, you know, it's in terms of, um, the dangers we encounter when we start to practice something regularly. For example, you know, if you chant regularly, Japanese Buddhism is based on chanting, uh, very beautiful chanting, but you can become so attached to it and you can take it for granted And for me, that's form, you know. You're doing something because everybody else around you is doing Mm -hmm. it. You are doing it because you've been told if you do it. It becomes a habit, yes. Mm -hmm. You know, you you can purify, you can do all these things if you do it, you know. But in fact, I feel now that it's very easy to become attached to that form, that form of, of, of uh, ritual. I'm talking about ritual form in a way, really, and also the way the human mind can turn things into commodities. This is something I think we have to be really vigilant about. We, we, are, you know, modern people are such consumers. Uh-huh. So even an aspect of faith, we can turn it into a commodity and kind of invest in it. And so, of course, we become attached to it, and we can't bear life without it. 
So I think that for me, I, I've gone beyond uh, attachment to anything. And of course, when you do that, you realize that uh, the, the visible and the invisible world are one. And that form is only something that we do outside to activate something inside. But in fact, you know... I see what you, you mean, yeah. When you get to a certain stage, you can do it inside without having to do it outside. Yeah, so, with the ritual, you mean, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so this, this is also a connection with the Qatar thing, because, of course, the Qatar believed that... Um, <clears throat> the only thing that separated uh, human beings from uh, God was the veil of death. I've talked to you about this before. Yes, you? yes I did. Mm -hmm. The veil of death is um, such an inspiration. Uh, the, the whole idea that uh, death is the only thing which keeps us in the visible world if you like. Uh, would you be saying that death liberates us? Death liberates us, absolutely. Okay, that's uh, <laughs> what I understood, yes. Uh, so in a sense, we are prisoners in our physical body. Yeah, we are. Of course, the Qatar called us trapped angels. Mm -hmm, yeah. They believed, didn't they, as you know, that um, the spirit could jump into a physical body and get trapped there. And of course, it was the devil The devil's world, everything physical is the devil's world, Satan's world. Uh, and so the spirit of an angel would be trapped in a body. And it was only when the veil of death was lifted that this uh, angelic energy could be free. So yes, indeed, death is certainly a liberation. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, Buddhists believe that too, don't they? That um, if you meditate on death, yep. Mm -hmm. uh, life becomes much more precious. <laughs> It's a, dying is a way to return to your true nature, in a sense. That's right. To your yes. soul life, to your spiritual life, fully, I mean, in a sense, yes. yes But we have to come to life, we have to come to the earth to do whatever we have to do, I guess, according to, I don't know, our mission or, you know, I think yeah. our lives on, on earth serves a purpose just for ourselves, for, for our progress and it serves a purpose for humanity as well but how do you look at that i mean what's the purpose of i'm not talking about desires or even mission but how do you look at a passage on earth you know mm. yeah now if i look back into my life i can see that my uh, attitude to my human life has changed so much um And the more I connect with the invisible world, with, uh, in my case, a whole host of spiritual guides in the form of Qatar or indigenous traditional landowners, or such from my very, very rich life, you know, when I connect with all of those spiritual guides and listen to them, then really, yeah, my body really is just a rented house, you know? A It's rented, a vehicle, a rented, house. A rented yeah. house. I'm just a, a tenant in my body. Mm -hmm. I really feel that. Uh, and, but, you know, uh, it's a very useful 
place to live because it has arms and legs and can do things that spirits can't do. So I feel that, uh, yeah, my, my human form is so important. Uh, but it's not me. It's not my energy at all. It's simply a vehicle, a vessel. And I can can lead a very happy life if I see it that way. You know, I'm not fearful about it disintegrating or losing it, you know, because I'm only a tenant. (laughs) Uh So I think this is, um, you know, I'd recommend it to everybody (laughs) to try to get to a state where you you know that your you your being is pure energy after all we are pure energy and we become uh, fleshy we are clothed in flesh for as you say a very special purpose that we have a special mission a unique mission uh, that only that body can uh, carry out in its life um, but if we get too attached I mean that's the hmm, that's the huge challenge of human life isn't it that we have a tendency to become attached uh, to want things to continue forever you know we want to be mm, youth yeah you want to be young forever yeah forever yeah mm-hmm. and um, of course then we get very disappointed when we know that's not true. <laughs> we eventually all go, so which is a good thing, but uh, yes, I yes. see what you mean. So samsara, as the Buddhists call it, or hell on earth, as the Qatar called it. Yeah. Um, you know, we we can um, make it joyful. We can connect with our true mission. Um, and I, I, I live a very joyful life, very joyful. How about you, Gilles? I do. I mean, it's again, we moved recently to the West Coast, so I guess it's um, the image that comes to mind is like when you gear up, you're driving a, a car with a gear shift, and then you're going from second to third or third to fourth. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's my feeling at the moment, so... Uh, it's not only the place and the inspiration you get from the place. I think the place where you live is important. You know, you have to feel the energy of the place, but it's also, you know, how you embrace life, I guess, which, which matters. Yes. And I guess you need to have a purpose to do this. So it goes back to the notion of Thomas Merton. What was that thing, you know, that thing that, which is driving us in a sense. Yes. And it's, yes. um, well, of course, you know, um, Thomas Merton and all of the spiritual adepts uh, know that this thing is love. That we are only here in human life to love and to love each other and to have uh, unconditional compassion for each other. Uh, This is the thing that we're here for primarily, I, I feel. How about you? Yeah, I, think I see what you mean. It's a good, um, it's a good one. I was, I'm thinking more about light, but it's really along the same lines. Um, 
we are here to enhance our capacity to love and to send light, I think, to the universe and to shine, in a sense, to shine our light, to shine our love. Uh, I agree with you. Yes. It's a um, beautiful, beautiful way to put it. Yes, love, love is light. Um, and uh, it takes me to my, back to my uh, original being, which was... Um, my original embodiment, which I think so far was um, in the golden era of humanity in uh, India. In India, okay. In, in India. And um, I've, I've written about this and I've talked to you about it too. You know, uh, there was a period in humanity, in the, in the history of humanity, when uh, we were so such sacred beings, we had no uh, intimation of the secular at all. If you can imagine this, you're mm-hmm. such sacred being that you don't even talk about it, you know. It's taken for granted that everything you do is done from an altruistic place, a place of love, uh, of harmony, uh, and so on. And at that time, in that golden era, which, you know, you can, you can find documents that um, describe this era, we were so integrated, so close to uh, the holy beings, the gods, the Buddhas, whatever you want to call them, uh, that <clears throat> they, they walked among us. The gods walked among us. And in fact, we, we were each of us gods or Buddhas or holy beings. We were so spiritually evolved. And so I find myself often in my imagination or or another dimension, perhaps not call it imagination, but in another dimension, walking among these beautiful beings of light and their... uh, divine spark the center of their soul is a light you know and as you say that the light is really uh, spreading across the whole planet face and we're, we're walking among each other and each one of us is a god so we have no need for priests we have no need for intermediaries to connect us with the spiritual world. We are the spiritual world. Uh-huh. So, my question would be, what, what happened? What yes. happened to the gods? <laughs> yeah, what happened was the karmic debt started to uh, pile up. Uh-huh. You know, and we started to um, uh, experiment and we started to be uh, tempted by the world of the devil, if you like. The world the temptation, of the yeah. The urge tempted us into trying other things, you know. And, uh, of course, what, what happened then is that we, our ego started to develop. We were, we were originally ego, yeah. we were egoless, you mm. know. But gradually the ego developed, and so we just got further and further and further away from the sacred and here we are today in, in a mess. <laughs> the world mm-hmm. is... It's a big one, yeah. 
<clears throat> and so if if we could even for a second in our busy day go back to that glorious state uh, of um, integration, totally integrated into the, the invisible world, totally in touch with the, the sacred, then I think we can rebalance the world. Mm -hmm. We all need to do that at the same time, I guess, because like That's you said, good. we are in a big mess. So I guess to turn things around, I think also to me that we got away from that God, whatever, God, God's goddess um, situation or statue. But I think there was a, at some point there must have been a tendency on the human being side to control other people's lives. I don't know at what point, but I think it's, uh, to me it's, it's something that I think is very big nowadays. I mean, the way the society was built over the past centuries, I mean, there, there was always, you know, look at the social classes or things like the economic classes because you have more money you you feel entitled to control people and and then the way you hire people and just the concept of a job you know in a, giving someone a job is also a way to control the person so i guess uh, absolutely yes the whole the whole of our structure in the developed world yeah. is is about hierarchy isn't it it's about yes hierarchy yes uh-huh controlling massive populations and really, you know, everything has become so um, a kind of inane. You know, education is uh, lost, I think. I think the whole pathway of developed education is going in the wrong direction altogether. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Classrooms full of people trying to achieve uh, excellence great yeah for, for what purpose you know it's very <laughs> true you know when you look back you know how useful was i mean you learn something in school but how useful was the degree and the grade if you got a i don't know a 15 out of 20 instead of a 12 i mean what difference does it make in your life now that's right yeah that's right so this achieving um c consumerist way mm -hmm. of uh, educating people really upsets me and you know as a teacher um, I, I get so kind of upset about that so I try to do very different things in my own classes um, and so how do, you, how do you assess the progress of your students <clears throat> well uh, here in Japan it's quite interesting because uh, the Japanese education system is very fixed you know so everything happens in a very uh, mechanical fixed way it's very yes. rigid rigid yeah mm -hmm. hugely rigid and so as foreign teachers here we have much more um freedom to uh, teach in a different way and of course so mm -hmm. my particular uh students are encouraged always to interact with each other, which they don't do naturally, uh, and also to uh, develop a sense of self-worth, mm -hmm. which they don't naturally have. Because in Japanese society, you know, uh, self-worth is something a little bit shameful. It's not very modest. Mm -hmm. you know? do, you have a, do you have a term? Do you have a word for that? 
Japanese. Uh, yeah. uh, we have uh, Hone Tatamae. Oh, yeah, I don't know about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Two, two aspects. There's the outer face, you know, the, the face that you pre- present to, mm-hmm. to the society. world, yeah. society. Yeah. And then very contrasted is your inner face mm-hmm. uh, that you only share with your family usually here mm-hmm. so it's very unlike westerners you know when we t- I tend to be and I'm sure you do too very open and I don't have a kind of inner side really you know I don't have a private side I am as I am <clears throat> um, as always you know um, but I think students here find it very difficult to move between the public and the private. Uh, but I think the foreigner can be a brilliant catalyst. Yep. Because we can do different things here. That's why foreigners are so important here in Japan. And the numbers of foreigners here are really growing. Because Japanese society needs some kind of catalyst to allow the true nature other people to come out so that they have confidence they can actually come out and and they're not afraid of their peers i mean most of the situations we find here in education are to do with peer fear fear <laughs> uh-huh. peer fear <laughs> uh, you know that a student won't say something in front of their peers because they're afraid of being bullied or laughed at Punished. It's really, uh, this society creates a lot of fear. And so I see my job as as releasing that fear and allowing students to encounter their true nature all the time. So my classes are very much about true nature. Um, And of course, I think foreigners make very relatively intimate relationship with their students compared with Japanese colleagues who tend to be gods on pedestals, you know. Uh-huh, yes, senseis, yeah. Senseis. But we, we get right in there and get to really know the kids. And, of course, this is spiritual work for me. So my teaching work is very spiritual. Uh, and I, these days I'm not inhibited about saying that to them. Uh, to my students and so they know that I'm not just teaching them various aspects of English and so on but that I'm bringing out their true nature um, yeah this is so important so going back to the the hierarchies you know the the classroom upon classroom of people sitting at desks uh-huh. something that would take them to a successful point in their life is very strange <laughs> but unfortunately i think because we are we've got such huge societies now in urban populations you know then it's the only way to control yep. massive populations it is so, and we see the same with health don't we we see this um abdication of health you know uh, if you feel a pain you go to the doctor and say tell me what 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 have i got what disease have i got what medicine can you give me what surgery can you perform we're abdicating responsibility all the time i think uh of course this means that the the leaders so-called leaders of our societies can keep control yeah 
to a certain extent, uh, and those who are anarchic are put into prison and so on. But, of course, it means that uh, people living in urban populations, urban societies, are never their true selves, and they lose touch with themselves totally, I think, I, I feel. Uh, and so they're constantly uh, wearing masks uh-huh. so they can cope with these pressurized situations of control. Now, it's only through meditation and through encountering people like me and you and probably many other listeners that um, they, they can, people can have the confidence to take the masks off. Open up, yeah. And to really become their true nature, to live their true nature. You know? This is what, what our mission is, I think, to facilitate people's true nature. Yeah, the blossoming of the, yeah, the expression of their true nature. Yes, I would agree, yes. And, and true nature means also, yes, people walking on their own spiritual path. It's not like a, a fake path determined by society. So That's right. Mm. Uh, and I think going back to what we said earlier about form, I think uh, there's a huge danger that people join a spiritual pathway or religion um, uh, for the wrong reasons, and they follow, you know. We, we are a race of followers. We follow others. Uh-huh. But each, each of us has a unique voice. We have a unique mission, as we've just said. And people cease to be able to hear that voice or to touch that true mission, I think, eventually. Um, and this means we we're living in a we really are living in a hell where people are not allowed to bring out their true nature and develop their talents and contribute that to society en masse. You know, mm-hmm. this is our mission. It's a very tough mission. It is. Yeah, I think it's a good point to. End the show. I think it's about time to close. Okay. Um, we have some uh, good food, food for thought, I guess, at this. And we're going we're gonna to meet again in about two weeks' time. Yes. And so uh, I would like to thank you for all your wisdom, all your insights, and your sharing your experience both in France, England, and, uh, and Japan. It's my pleasure, Gilles. It's, it's such an honor to be asked to... Uh, join you here on the air. I'm looking forward very much to the next session. Thank you very much. Have a good week, everybody. Thank you for joining us on Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us. Your personal journey, assisted by your guide and companion, Giel Asselin, will continue next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be sure to tune in again. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 